Hey guys, my name is Marcelo Inestroza, and I am the host and the creator of the Red Wall Podcast, a podcast about love, life, and the pursuit of happiness. On top of all that, a podcast about what it's like to live life as a disabled person. Also, a podcast about what it's like to live life as a disabled screenplay writer. So why don't y'all come on and join me on my podcast mission of glory. All right, guys, hope to see you there. Hey guys, welcome to yet another edition of the Red Wall Podcast. I'm your host per usual, my name is Marcelo Inestroza, and welcome to episode number 42, entitled An Old Friend. Alright guys, so this episode is a little different in that I don't often have guests on my podcast. I mean, I did um, have one guest in season one who was my best friend. Uh, by the name of Matthew Powell, and he has been on uh, the show just that one time. Well, um, for this episode, I have something of a treat for you guys. Um, I decided to um, have a video conversation with a very old friend, with a very old friend of mine, by the name of Jonathan Wu. I initially met him. Uh, when I was going to high school, but I grew to like him as a friend and as a person when we actually played wheelchair basketball uh, with each other for several years. In fact, I think it was pretty close to 15, if not 15 years. So um, that experience uh, was one of the one of the most rewarding and one of the most funnest of my formative years in high school. And like I said, after I began that journey with him as his teammate, I really uh, started to appreciate him as a person and as a friend. And he is uh, an all and you know, he is all around just a good soul. And uh, we need more people like him uh, on this planet, especially nowadays. Anyway, uh, this is the conversation that I had with my good friend, Jonathan Wu, and I hope you guys enjoy. Hey guys, so I'm here with a very old friend of mine uh, by the name of Jonathan Wu. Um, I first met Jonathan, I can't exactly remember. I believe, I no, um, I initially met him in school, but then he actually uh, started to play wheelchair basketball with me for... 15 years as I mentioned in the as I mentioned in the introduction uh, of this episode so John why don't you why don't you uh, introduce yourself to my audience and uh, tell my audience a little bit about yourself and what what it is you do and uh... hi yeah uh, I'm Jonathan Wu. I uh, like Hector said I've known him since childhood um, we did a lot of things uh, in childhood like I uh, mentioned um, I uh, went to school, same, uh, you know, off same school system, uh, and uh, played wheelchair basketball for the Barrier Breakers, and I believe we went to summer camp together a, a few times as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, John. Yes. Um, but yeah, um, certainly, uh, yeah, I have a long history, um, and uh, yeah, now I'm living in Oregon, uh, which is a bit uh, different than New York but uh, still pretty 
in terms of the field close to home. And uh, by trade, I'm a software developer. I graduated from the University of Oregon, uh, and I am currently working for a company called Active 911. And we do, uh, we help first responders um, getting them information to arrive on scene with all the information they need to uh, be effective in saving lives. Um, now, I uh, now look. I've known you for a while, but we've never really had. Well, not that I can remember. If, if I'm completely wrong here, you can, uh, you know, you can at any point correct me and slap me across the face and say that's wrong. We we have had conversations like this, but we've never really had uh, a sort of heart-to-heart, in-depth conversation. With that being said, what what inspired you to? to go down the path that you're currently on of, you know, being a programmer and going into the specific, going into the specific field uh, which you chose to go down? Yeah, uh, I've always been interested in computers. Uh, my mom got me my first computer when I was uh, probably 10, around 10 years old, um, though I used computers that weren't my own before that. And they just really, um, really, they were a very interesting toy, really, at that age, right? Everything is a toy, but especially computers, because you would do so many different things with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember at school, playing computer games. And, you know, one of my friends, uh, he, he started doing some basic programming, which was really interesting. And so I took my first course in um, programming computers in high school. Um, there was a um, class, I think it was possibly my junior or senior year of high school that they had that class. And um, yeah, figuring out how to make a computer do things was really a fun challenge. Um, and yeah, that's just been um, really my my uh, you know, interest for, you know, since, since, you know, what year was that? I graduated 2003. So since 2001 or two is how long I've been doing programming specifically. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. No, um, you mentioned, you mentioned your graduating year. Uh, uh, Your graduating year, I believe that I was in the sixth grade, I was just about to come into high school. Wait, no, is that wrong? No, wait a minute. No, I, no, I was there. No, I was there when you were there, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. My concept of time is a little is a little is a little wishy washy, as you'll as you'll learn um, throughout the course of throughout the course of this interview. Like, I don't view time like regular people. Like, I just have like a bad sense of uh, like like the flow of time. So. Uh, Pardon me if I get, you know, dates or mixed up or anything like that. But um, besides programming, were you interested in any other, like, like, like any other, any other, pers- any other, like, like if programming didn't work out for you, uh, 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 what else would you be doing with your time and your... Uh, um, let's see. Honestly, programming was pretty much my main focus, like... I don't know. I, especially at that that age, I don't think I really had a side plan like, um, you know, having a physical limitation, right? It, it's 
it's it's uh, the the options are obviously uh, uh, more limited in terms of mm -hmm. um, what uh, career opportunities I had. Like, uh, you know, I, I like working uh, to support the first responders because you know I I don't have the physical capability really to to do those jobs directly. Right? Um, they have obviously you know for good reason um, physical test standards um, that I'm. I would not be able to meet. Uh, so, you know, firefighter, policeman, the usual, you know, kid career goals you know, are, uh, were not really things that, you know, I, I recognized early on, you know, probably weren't going to be for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, so really computers are really, I, I was fortunate that, you know, not only were they interested with me, but I also had some sort of an aptitude for um doing uh, computer programming and, and all, all the software development activities mm -hmm. you uh you mentioned your physical limitations when you were uh growing up as a kid did you feel any kind of um shame for the things that you couldn't do or 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 shames you know or, or shame because you saw your friend or some friends that you had you saw your friends uh running, dancing, going out, you know, doing this, doing that. Did, uh, did you feel any of that, any of that, you know, shame of being who you were because of your physical limitation at all? Um, I don't think I felt shame. Like, um, I, I think I recognized it as something that I was born with and couldn't control. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was, it was a constraint on what I could do. Um, and that's something that I've always looked at in a, in a particular way of um, a constraint is just, just that um, it limits your options, right? It's not specifically a good or bad thing about myself. It is just something that is true and recognizing what that is and finding ways around it that perhaps other people might not have to is uh, something that I developed a, a, an aptitude for, for, for thinking through uh, early on. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, I would say it certainly affected how I grew up, you know, recognizing that um, you know, I would have to do things differently than the other kids might. Um, but yeah, um, um, did you, um, you know, you know, uh, I, you know, you know, I, I obviously know your family, your, your mother, your father, your, your little sister, she's a, she, she was a pill from what I can remember. Um, were, were they like always supportive of, of, of what you wanted to do or did they somehow see your uh, your physical limitation as a detriment to what you wanted to do. Did they did, did they always support you, or did they uh, somewhat try and steer you down a path that w you were you were going to be able to be successful in, or, or did they just let you go your own way and and chase after your dreams per se? I would say that growing up, um, my parents and my sister were always supportive. My sister as well, having a similar 
uh, physical condition I do. Mm-hmm. And so my parents really, you know, um, were supportive of whatever it is I want to do as an example. Um, I know my mom loves to tell the story of when I was uh, young, we were probably four, maybe five. Mm-hmm. And I probably saw a for a ski resort and I said, I want to do that. And, um, you know, at that age, I probably didn't, you know, I, I was just, you know, saw something fun that I wanted to do, right? Not really knowing whether or not I could do it. And as any kid, kid that age would do. And, um, yeah, she was like, okay, um, yeah, let's see how we can do this. And I did. And I skied for many years up until high school, I think. Um, and yeah, so in that way, my mom was very um, supportive of of enabling that mindset of it just being a, a constraint that maybe you have to work a little harder to get around. But um, there are certainly ways to accomplish what you want to accomplish, even with that constraint. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I say I didn't really consider being a police officer or a firefighter. I mean, at the end of the day, if I really got that bug in my ear early on in childhood and that was just a dream of mine, I'm sure my parents would have supported me in finding a way that I could do something in that vein, like perhaps a dispatcher or something like that, if that would fulfill the same sort of, um, you know, core drive that I had. Mm-hmm. So I was very fortunate and I recognized that, that, um, you know, I had the opportunity and uh, parents who were supportive in that way um, to just say, yeah, um, let's figure out what it is you want to do and how we can, you know, accomplish that. Maybe not in the same way as everyone else, but, you know, maybe in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. You mentioned um, that uh, you you have a you have a passion for uh, first responder first responders and law enforcement. Uh, it's funny because um, my dad, who uh, who passed away, uh, who was actually was, he was murdered about fifteen years ago, um, had um, had a dream of being a, a law enforcement officer. Uh, he actually took the exam to be a New York police officer, but he actually failed out. Uh, during the testing process because he had a bad knee. And um, that's relevant because I've always, look, I, I haven't, I haven't felt, um, look, I am, I support people who are first responders, especially nowadays with this uh, pandemic around, I, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I appreciate everyone who, who is in uh, uh, that particular profession, but I, I like my father gravitated towards law enforcement. Like my my grandfather, I mean, my father loved uh, the NYPD, and I loved uh, the you know the FBI and the CIA. As a matter of fact, my grandfather, I mean, sorry, I keep messing up. My father always told me that um, if I wasn't a sports guy, you know, he he pegged me as working for the FBI or working for the CIA. And be, you know, being an analyst, I've always wanted to serve my country. I mean, granted, that's not what I ended up doing, but I have a very, very deep love and respect 
for my country and the people who serve this country way before uh, the attacks on 9-11. But sort, of, but sort of after that, sort of m my love and my appreciation for people who serve, uh, be, them, be, be they first responders or not, really grew. And, um, you know, that's, that's a little bit about me. So, I mean, you know, granted what I do now is, is, is a complete 180 from what I wanted to do as a kid because what I wanted to do as a kid was uh, be a professional basketball player or... Mm -hmm. Or, or be a professional uh, broadcaster, but now I'm a, I'm a semi-professional screenplay writer, so uh, I spend my days uh, uh, basically, playing, basically uh, playing, playing pretend and, uh, and writing scripts and, and, uh, and, and doing stuff like that. So that's what, I, um, that's what I do, basically. As a matter of fact, if you spoke to my grandfather, he would say that he's somewhat proud of me, but he's somewhat disappointed in me because... He wanted me to um sorry he wanted me to be a uh a sports broadcaster. He thought that I had more opportunities to do that uh than to work on a set or 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 than to get one of my scripts uh uh, uh auctioned off and bought and then eventually made uh you know into a feature or a short so he is you know you know he wouldn't say this to your face but he he's I he's probably somewhat disappointed in my career choice, but you know, I, you, but you, I I think that you aren't going to please your parents. I think, I think uh, like you, I really went after something that I really adored and I really fell in love with. And at my core, I am a storyteller. I want to entertain people. So if I can do that and be happy at the same time, I don't care if you know. If my career choice puts me in the poorhouse, I, I would rather be happy than have all the money in the world, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But I kind of just hijacked my own interview there. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's a conversation, whatever. I mean, and you know, it's a it's about life. It's about screen, screen. Uh, sorry, I, I apologize. I don't That's remember okay. That's exactly fine. the That's way fine. that you termed the uh, screenplay the, the, or writing, whatever. Yeah. Just writing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's what this is all about, right? Life and mm -hmm. screenplay writing. Mm -hmm. That's you know, what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I'm not really that deep into, you know, your industry of right. screenplay writing, right? right. Um, just from a layman's person of view, um, you know, there's a certain amount of, like, there are people who uh, uh, act and, um, you know, broadcast, right? I see those as... Um, personality being the forefront of the skills you want to develop for that right. versus um, screenplay writing and, and that sort is more of um, crafting something, right? Mm -hmm. So in this sense, you're crafting your own personality. This one, you're crafting more of a, um, perhaps a, a world. You know, some people do world building. Some are more interested in character development, right? Mm -hmm. And so those those are all different um, perspectives. And, and I know some people, you know, are fortunate enough to be able to do all at once, but those are far and few between but um yeah it's it's a interesting interesting stuff um, yeah. I, I certainly um appreciate mm -hmm. everyone who works hard on all of the shows and movies and and you know all of the things that you know i enjoy mm -hmm. um and yeah uh you'll get it yeah, i'm sorry go ahead you were gonna say yeah so in terms of um what you like and what you enjoy mm -hmm. sounds like right now 
um, you know, focuses more on the crafting of a world or of characters. Mm. And um, that is a, a skill set mm. that everyone starts as a novice, right? Yeah, and so, um, yeah, it's not to say that, you know, anyone couldn't transition at any point. Now, again, it's, it's, it is really follow what um, feels right to you because mm-hmm. I've been fortunate enough to not really have to work a job that I didn't really like, right? Really? Um, yeah, like I know a lot of people had to work their way through college, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I was I was really, I mean, lucky is the only term that really I can, I, it was lucky and also supported by great parents in terms of being able to go to school and not have to do that Mm -hmm. um but in that sense i think that the first step to to anyone really realizing their dreams is is and i know it's it's difficult and by no way means saying that it can be easy for anyone but if you can find something that you can work at that you don't just dread going to every day i think that that is something worth looking for and holding on to. And that's why I am working at a small company, not a big company. I worked at HP for a few years and it was fine. I loved the people that I worked with. Um, I still talk to a lot of them, but in terms of how I felt going into work every day, it was a bit of a detachment, right? It was like, I, I was, doing things that in the grand scheme of things didn't fulfill me. Right. And so that's why, you know, I've been working at this small company for over seven years now. We're a small company, um, but we do important things from my perspective and mm-hmm. that are deeply fulfilling to me. Mm-hmm. And um, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So just in the sense of if you find yourself in a position that you can do what fulfills you. I, I think that that really is, is is a key more than anyone else's expectations or anything like that. If you, if if obviously if obviously you need to pay the bills, but if you have the opportunity to pay the bills and do something like that, mm-hmm. it's definitely something that is you know um, worthwhile. Right. Um, now I'm I'm interested. Uh, well, no, well, I'm sort of curious. Uh, with your physical disadvantage, how do you how do you go about? Um, because you're you you're a, you're a father to two kids, am I right? How do you go about? Um, how do you go about doing day to day, you know, chores and and day to day things with with. Uh, with your physical limitation, how do you, how do you navigate that per se? Yeah, and it's a lot about just recognizing what those limitations are, and like I said, thinking about them as constraints, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's certain things that are that I pretty much can't do at this you know time in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I could have if I had mm, I don't know, done a lot more going to the gym when I was younger, but having not done that, um, you know, uh, I have a young child, 
and I can still lift her at this point. She's at a weight that I can still lift, but I know, you know, my older, I can definitely not lift him. <laughs> I mean, at, at some point, I need you know, to meet him, by the way. That? Yeah, I need to meet him. By the way, you keep te- every, oh, yeah, sure. every time. Every time we have a conversation, you tease him, and I'm like, "Does he really exist, or is he like an aberration?" <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I totally kidding. Um, no, he's pretty much a teenager now, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, at some point, you know, I won't be able to lift my daughter, right? And that's just, I mean, that's you know that's just something I recognize. Right. And, and, um, I do the most that I can within the constraints I'm given. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my wife has to do more of the heavy lifting in terms of, um, you know, I can, I can pick up my wheelchair though. Uh, not pick it up, like just place it over my head, but like I can sort of, get it into the car right, right, right. with some amount of effort, right? Mm-hmm. But she can do it much more easily and much more quickly than I can. Right, so right. I usually defer to her, like, and I only do it if I'm, like, you know, alone on a business trip or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but just recognizing what those are and planning ahead is something that I really have learned to do a lot almost instinctively in the back of my mind. Just recognizing constraints not even they're not even all to do with my physical limitation uh, sometimes they're to do with time limitation sometimes they're to do with you know not having you know maybe a car being the shop or whatever right just recognizing you know what constraints there are going to be and how do we still accomplish what we need to given those you know limitations mm-hmm. whether they be my own physical limitations or there's always any amount of limitations in our lives that will keep us from necessarily doing what we want to do as easily as we want to do them. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, going down the uh, going down the same vein of physical limitations and you uh, having to deal with your adaptive equipment being your wheelchair, or whatever. When you uh, enter like a like a like an area that you haven't been in before, do you have the habit of just looking around and and thinking to yourself, okay, how am I gonna go about go about moving about this room without without, you know, causing too much of a scene or without bumping into anybody or without, um, you know, how can I, how can I move about this room in the easiest way possible without disturbing all the other people in the room? Do you, have you, have you ever done that in your own head or, or do you, or do you just not think that way? Yeah. Um, that's always a question, right? I mean, if I'm going to, let's say a town hall meeting, right? Just a simple example. Maybe they've set up the chairs in a certain way that makes that doesn't have a width clearance for my wheelchair. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, when I first look at the room, I would think, okay, do I want to be up front? Is there some perhaps, or would I want to go up to the podium? Perhaps they have, or, or you know, the public to speak at, right? Mm-hmm. And I would say. Um, yeah, I definitely look at those things and consider them, and I would say I usually think about what I want to do while I'm in that space, and whether or not I can do them, and if there are things that prevent me from doing so. Like I said, let's say I want to sit up front because there's going to be a presentation I want to see, 
um, but I can't get to the front because there's a bunch of chairs in the way, mm-hmm. right? Because the, you know, perhaps all the chairs are here and the width is only enough for like, you know, three quarters of the width of my wheelchair, right? Uh, at that point, I would, um, I would probably, you know, ask, look for someone who is in charge of the space and ask them, you know, how, how is there another entrance? Is there a way I can get to the front? Because I really want to sit up the front or whatever. Um, usually it, it is a lot of just recognizing what the barriers are, seeing if there's someone around who can help with them and asking them. Uh, that's my first option, right? If there's no one around, um, I usually just make do. Like, let's say, a, it's in the, let's say I got to the meeting in the middle of the meeting, right? And I couldn't get to the front. I would probably just either, you know, sit in the back and be okay with that or, um, or determine that I, I would have no value of being in the meeting um, because I would be too far back to see any or hear anything. And then, you know, I'd, I would instead say, okay, next time I'll make sure to get here early so that I do have an opportunity to get to the plate, to the seat that I would want to be able to be involved in the meeting. But since I can't at this point in time, you know, I would go and come back at a, you know, later meeting or something like that. So, yeah. Um, you know, just all those little things. Again, it's, it's about recognizing what the problems are early enough that you can do something about them, right? Because um, the, the main thing is it's easy because everyone has lots of things in their lives, right? Um, and they see things from a different perspective than, than we, you or I might, having more physical limitations. Right. And you know, it's not out of malice that they're putting these chairs in a way that you know, I can't get through them. Mm-hmm. But recognizing that you know, they are a barrier is something just that people are more than happy to help with often. Mm-hmm. when just given the opportunity and have them pointed out. Mm-hmm. And I find that to be the case more often than not. Uh, I don't think I've really ever experienced where I asked, you know, um, you know, oh, you know, if, if someone could help me out with doing some, you know, working around this limitation or this barrier and them say, oh, well, that seems like your problem, buddy. Uh, good luck with that. Right. So Overall, I think that people are, are happy to, once they're able to see your perspective, uh, help you out in any way they can uh, with that. No, I uh, know the reason why I brought up that, that question of sort of scanning the room of any environment you're in, because I do that in my own, in my own head when I enter a room. The first thing I look at is, first of all, I look at the exits to see if I, if I, need, to get out of here, if I need to get out of here quick. And then I sort of look at the look at the floor plan of the room and say okay if something happens i'm going to go down this way and i'm going to forgo those chairs or i'm going to go through those chairs to get out of here mm-hmm. you know you know i just i just do that innately in my head and one time uh one time i actually um told my grandfather about everything that runs through my head mm-hmm. when we enter a space like that specifically a restaurant or a mall mm-hmm. when i still went to malls and we were still allowed to go out. Um, I, I basically told him all that stuff, and he was like, "So you think about all that stuff, before, you know, even when, even when we enter like a simple small room or restaurant." I'm like, "Yeah," and he's like, "How do you do that?" I'm like, I just do it. I've always done that. I've done that since I was a kid. Yeah. Huh? Um, you know, but he was uh, he was sort of like taken aback like that. He 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 didn't think that I could process information that quick in my head, but. Obviously, I could. So, um, yeah. yeah, 
I yeah, I've uh like you, anytime that I've needed assistance from anyone, I haven't run into an instance where I've met a mean person that hasn't been able to um help me with with whatever, whether it was uh uh picking up a bag or taking my bags if I went on a trip or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one thing that I know that I've noticed over the past couple of weeks in the, in the past couple of years is that a lot of people in our community, a lot of them, or at least a, a lot of people that I know, um, are, are active. They're, they are like active speakers in speaking out for people with disabilities, whether they have CP or whether they have any other disability. Do you, uh, um, you know, are do you do any speaking on 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 um, uh, on uh, about people with our with our disabilities or or people with disadvantages? Do you do any of that? Um, no, I I really, I've not really active in that arena. Yeah, I haven't actively done that. I've I've had. Other focuses, you know, mm-hmm. in my life, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I uh, no, I, um, no, I, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's funny because I've met people who who are who are, who are really really active in mm-hmm. speaking out uh, for people like us or speak, you know, mm-hmm. or supporting people like us. And I look, look, I'm not, I'm not political at all. So, just sorry if I tramp, but I look at them like. So you're kind of really, really political in speaking out for our issues, but just because I don't have the same viewpoints as you do doesn't doesn't give you the right to 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 sort of you know force my views or make me feel bad because I don't speak up for our community. If I want to live my life in peace and not quote unquote have to speak up for people like me, first of all, I'm not I'm not qualified to do that. I'm not. I don't, I mean, I have opinions, but my opinions, I feel they, they aren't, I don't feel the need to um, vocalize them. Like you, I have another focus in my life. There are other things that I want to accomplish with my life. And, you know, speaking out for people like us, that's just not something that I'm good at, something that I'm qualified to do. And I doubt that people would benefit by hearing my experience. <laughs> hey, look, I mean, well, I mean, you you are putting yourself out here. I mean, just this podcast is evidence of that, right? There's yeah. different ways. There's not a single way. There's not one right way. There, there's never one right way to do things, right? Mm-hmm. And the question is like, um, you know, I'm sure I am less outspoken about my physical disability than even you are. I mean, you have a whole podcast about it, right? Yeah. And so in the sense of, um, there is, you know, if someone said to me, why aren't you going to, you know, there's a, there's a, I don't know, a town, a town hall every month to talk about these things and I don't attend them, right? Mm-hmm. Perhaps there is, there could be, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, should I be ashamed for not doing that? I I would say from from their perspective maybe but at the end of the day if someone approached me and asked me you know 
it would be great for as many people as possible to come, right? Mm -hmm. um, I would consider coming once in a while, right? Everyone has different priorities in their life. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily good or bad that, you know, one way of, of interacting with the community in regards to our limitations, it, it, it's not better or worse. So, again, I, I have not perhaps had the experience, it sounds like you may have had experience with, with others who have more pushed for that. Um, but it really is up to each of us to decide what's important to us. Um, and to me, not saying that um, having having opinions and and being vocal about the um, problems that 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 a lot of us face that are similar, right? I mean, like you said, you and I both we've done even without really ever talking about it or thinking about it, we sort of do the same thing, which is when we enter a new area. We look at the space because, you know, the people who organize it, uh, less so as we go on, but still, there's never going to be a point at which someone without a physical limitation is going to be able to see things that someone with is going to. And that's fine. And I, I don't expect that that, um, that uh, someone with a different perspective ever will see everything, right? And that's fine. Um, I do think it's great that a lot of places have ordinances like having curb cuts everywhere, right? That certainly is a way in which the community recognizes a need um, to help support you know, people with physical limitations. But there's so many things that affect our lives on a day-to-day -day basis that I certainly don't expect that the community as a whole is going to be able to solve all of them for me, right? Um, not to say that I don't think it's important for people to vocalize things like curb cuts being important and it being a benefit to you know a large you know, everyone in, who has a physical limitation right? um everyone has their own way to contribute to our society as a whole mm. and for me i pour a lot of my energy like i said into my work right my family and my work they are my two priorities right and yeah, so i pour a lot of energy into my work because i really feel like that is the way in which I am able to support the community and make a difference in the community. Um, I am not a great public speaker. Yeah. Uh, I certainly would be willing to go to a meeting of some sort if there was something that I could give a perspective on that no one else could. But I am not the type of person that would go out and organize those myself or you know seek them out. Um, not to say that it's not important to me, but just to say it is, I, I find my abilities and my way to contribute to society align with a different way of approaching it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's just, again, my own personal decision on how I want to contribute. And, you know, in terms of Right, advocating for for things like curve cuts, like I said, is important, right? But not everyone needs to do it all the time, and some people are more effective at it. And 
are more have the skill set and the inclination to be able to push those forward in a more systematic or more persuasive way. And I am perfectly happy to willing to let them do that and support them in ways that I can mm-hmm. if they ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, so at mm-hmm. the end of the day, all that to say, I think that as long as you can look at yourself and say, am I doing what I believe to be the right thing? Am I doing my part in whatever way I think is the right way to you know, move along through, you know, through business, through art, through, you know, everything contributes in, in some, you know, everyone contributes in some way to our society. And it's really a personal decision on how you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And as long as you are good with that yourself, then you know, I, I guess that's why I don't feel much shame if someone were to try to shame me into saying, I'm not doing X, Y, Z, why aren't you doing X, Y, Z? It's, yeah, it's my decision. Um, it could make me think more about, oh, maybe I should prioritize something else, but maybe it doesn't. Yeah, I've I've had the I've had the unfortunate experiences. I've had many experiences where I tell people what I do, and half of them think I'm lying through my teeth because they look at me and they look at my disability and they go, "How can somebody like that do all this?" I mean, when you look at it, I'll give you a breakdown of what I do. I'm a writer. I write every day for five to six hours. Mm-hmm. I. I run a YouTube channel, and I also run, um, I also do a, a weekly podcast. So I do all that, and I fit all that into one day. And mm-hmm. half of the people that I tell, they go, you can't do that because you're, I'm like, why not? What What about me tells you that I can't do everything I just said? And then mm-hmm. I run into another subset of people that, are marbled that I do all that by myself. And then, you know, and then I say again, I modify it and I say, yeah, I do it all by myself. Why can't I do it by myself? What about me says that I'm not capable of doing everything I just said? Yeah, I just, I, 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 I think where my issues lie is that some people's brains that don't have, that don't have physical limitations, uh, The, the lack of imagination that some people have about what, the, the lack of, no, um, some, perce- some of the perceptions that, quote, for the sake of this conversation, quote unquote, normal people have about um, what disabled people can and can't do, um, sort of bother me a little bit. Look, I, look. Uh, you know, you know, and that, you know, and that is as far as I go, you know, when it comes to speaking out about uh, issues, uh, um, plaguing people in our community, stuff like that. But you, that's uh, that's like just a small little observation that I've that I've accumulated over the years of talking to several people. I don't obviously you haven't uh, you, you've been lucky enough to where you haven't run into that at all or from what I can tell. Um, um, I mean, it, it's, it's not as, I don't know, 
I mean, you're right. Mm-hmm. It, like I said, it comes back to the point of um, a different perspective, right? right? We see we see constraints. I like to call them constraints because that's what they are everywhere yeah. that other people may not have, right? right? Yeah. Um, and they when they see when they gauge what it is, so they're they're obviously different limitations that everyone has, right? Mm-hmm. And it's easy for someone that doesn't have those same to sort of assume that they are all the same uh, in terms of what everyone is limited mm-hmm. to being able to do, which is obviously not true. But at the end of the day, again, if, if, if they are not, you know, if they don't have a family member right. even who has a disability, they don't really have a frame of reference to understand you know mm-hmm. what it is we can can't do, mm-hmm. and so perhaps the only frame of reference they have is media, mm-hmm. right? Um, and if the only media they 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 have where there is a person with a physical limitation, perhaps also has a cognitive limitation, mm-hmm. then they may associate them because they have no other frame of reference. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I I can't really fault them for that. That's just what they're they've been exposed to right now the thing that i would say to that is if we want that to change and i know that is a concern for a lot of you know people um would be and and it is something that is often you know i've read occasionally about it is in terms of how how do we as a community um have that representation you know and it's and again it's it's the community of people who are, are have physical limitations, um, you know, every minority also has those sorts of concerns in terms of how their their community is is um, portrayed. Um, you know, being Asian as well, like I know a lot has gone into the you know um, talk about you know portrayal of um, Asian actors in in cinema. Uh, and movies and TV and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just the same with, you know, people who have, you know, physical limitations. Um, it's all about exposure to, you know, I- I've seen more shows in the past, you know, 10, 20 years where there is a person who has a disability as just another cast member, not as a gimmick or a stick as may have been in like, you know, way back in the mid 20th century, mm-hmm. but just as a cast member, or even, you know, bringing that perspective, right, um, to that show, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's yeah. it's a it like I said, I've experienced it in ways of, you know, coworkers who were surprised that I. You know, my physical limitation does allow me to stand and walk to some extent. And drive, right? Hmm? Drive, right? You can drive, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. okay. and so, and that, you know, being surprising, that's, like, not to say, you know, I, I don't know if you've encountered people who are derogatory about it or, or to some extent, but, you know, certainly there's always going to be that amount of surprise when, and what I can do does not match their expectation. No, and, I'm, I'm sorry. Know, Go ahead. And sometimes I enjoy that. Yeah. I sometimes even, you know, use it for dramatic effects. 
Yeah. And one or two occasions uh, when I've had the opportunity to, and you know, but um, it's uh, no. it's certainly yeah. Sorry. So you were saying back to your experience with that. Yeah, I um, um, I have I've I've been lucky that most of the people that I've interacted, I mean, there's been a co- there's been a couple people like for example, a couple years ago when I was walking down the street, this woman who was basically walking in the same direction that we were, that I was walking in, kept looking at me for some weird reason. And before we got to the end of where we were going to, we were going to this store or whatever. I, I think it was Hot Topic or I was in the mall or something. And we, I got to where I was going and I let her walk past me. And I was like, so um, do you want to say something or anything? So she just turned around and she was like, no, I was just sorry. I didn't mean to stare, and she just walked off. <laughs> she just walked off. But you know, I, I was like, "What? What's the deal?" I was like, "Why are you?" Yeah, I mean, I look, I look, I, I maybe I could have handled that better, or maybe I handled that perfectly. But I was kind of, um, somewhat, a little bit bothered that she was like, I don't know, uh, you know, maybe. Maybe she was having a bad day, but I was somewhat bothered that she kept staring at me, and she didn't, like, I don't know. Yeah, and I, I would say, and I, I don't know, like, I don't know, obviously, that particular person or whatnot, but I would say that most often or not, um, that was most likely just someone who was curious, but not, I don't know what, to, what I want to say, yeah. not brave enough i guess to really just flat out or i don't know if i want to say brave but like just doesn't have i don't know they're they're afraid to say something because it could that because it may be embarrassing for them or they maybe they feel like it would be embarrassing for you Mm -hmm. like that that's something that i know um you know a, a lot of when I've spoken, right, after I've known people, co-workers, et cetera, for a while, is they don't really know what the appropriate amount to ask, right? Some, and it, it does differ right on the person, right? Some people may not want to even be asked if they want help, mm-hmm. and other people do. do want to be asked, right? And so it's, it's hard sometimes to gauge um, what the response might be. Do you um, do you find that difficult in sort of trying when, when you first meet people, whether it be at work or whether it be in a social setting, do you find it difficult to sort of gauge people? Like like, do do you find yourself talking to somebody and you think and you're thinking to yourself, is what they're telling me right now really what they're thinking about me, or are they thinking about something else? Are they really looking at me, or are they looking at my my physical limitation do you find yourself falling into that trap at all um i mean everyone does to some extent are they seeing me for me or are they seeing just what's on the surface right right right, right. And, and for us it, it may be a little bit even more so when you know there is more to pay attention to that is different from the norm perhaps Sorry, go ahead. Um, and i would say at the end of the day the question for me is, does it, I, 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 I guess I decided early on that it, at the end of the day, 
I would let the other person lead in terms of asking me if they wanted to know something. And whether they see what's on the service or not, mm -hmm. I mean, it's really on them mm -hmm. in terms of interacting with me to have a more nuanced view if they want to, right? Because at the end of the day, what impact does it really have on me in terms of whether they see me or my disability, mm -hmm. I guess? Mm -hmm. is, the, is, is, is the question, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of ways in which them perceiving my disability more than seeing me would be detrimental. And I would say, if I was trying to be their friend, perhaps, mm -hmm. and, you know, if they only saw my physical disability, and I'm sure this happened a lot more when I was a, a kid, right? Right. And, um, you know, if they saw my disability, they wouldn't really want to interact with me because, you know, like, oh, you know, John can't, you know, climb a treehouse or whatever, so we'll just go, you know, do that without mm -hmm. him, or, mm -hmm. right? Um, or, or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Um. And I would say nowadays it's more of, I, I guess I've developed a, um, a, I don't know what to call it, a neck for being fine and that's content a, with just doing my own thing. That's a good way to call right? it a neck. And so, you know, whether or not they, you know, they're going to go play in a treehouse, and whether or not they ask me, I'm fine either way. It doesn't really matter that much to me. Okay. Um, but I'm happy to talk to them about it if they want to ask me if I want to. Mm -hmm. Right. So at the end of the day, if, if there was something that I really wanted to do that they were going to do, I would, I would speak up and say, Hey, it looks like you're going to go play in that treehouse, And I would love to too. Mm -hmm. And then at that point they may be like, well, can you really play in a treehouse? And then we'd have a discussion, mm -hmm. right? So at the end of the day, it's like, just them seeing my disability and not me, in a lot of situations that doesn't matter so much. It doesn't really affect what's going to happen so much. And in the cases where I think it will, I'm willing to be proactive about bringing that conversation up at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So in terms of a person walking next to me and staring at me because I'm walking a bit funny or something like that. Hmm. At the end of the day, if they have the wrong idea that I am, you know, on something or something, I don't know. It's like, okay, they can think whatever they want. It doesn't really matter to me. Yeah. I mean, if they call the cops, then I'll just explain to the cops, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm fine. You know, I'm just, you know, I have a physical limitation that caused me to walk this way. And then that'd be that. Um, yeah, for the for the whole interview, you've been using one word, um, which I find rather mm -hmm. interesting. You've been using physical limitations uh, for yeah. for what we have. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't. I mean, I've never. Well, this this will tell you a little bit inside about me and how I view my disability. I've never taken my disability seriously. I I, I always I always laugh about it. I'm like, sure, it's this little thing I had that. I was born with, and uh, it's sort of a pain in the ass, but I live with it because it's a part of me. And I've 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 always called it, uh, I've always called it, you know, that that thing, you know, that thing, the thing that I have. I've never called it a physical limitation, or, or I've never mm -hmm. said the word disabled or 
or or disadvantaged or whatever. I called it. I always call it the thing, that that thing. So um, I, I I just find your wording very very unique and um, and very very uh, singular in the way that you keep saying uh, our limitation. You don't use the word disability or or mm-hmm. or stuff like that. So you, you don't use any of the any of the general uh, vernacular known to like the general public or whatever. Um, now I just have a couple more questions for you because I because I've had you almost for an hour, so I want to um, uh, let you that you go back to your life and your family and uh, whatever <laughs> whatever it is you want to do tonight before you made this awful decision about to- of talking to me. Uh, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's been great. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, I, uh, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know how it's gone. I mean, I can tell you from the start, this isn't the interview that I thought I was going to do. I thought uh, it was going to be much more loose, but we, we seem to, I, 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 I you know, I, I stirred the interview down a much more uh, a serious path, a serious, serious road, uh, which is fine, but I did it, so whatever. Um... When it when it comes to your job, what because you mentioned at the beginning of the interview, you mentioned that you have various titles, and um, so what is it that you do? Are you like just a programmer, or do you? Yeah. Yeah. So. So, oh. so what I do is um, what I do. So I started out just as a programmer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I did for a while. Um, you know, my first year I worked at a nonprofit in Eugene, Oregon, I knew as that. a, just a developer writing that. code to support, you know, their internal time clock, et cetera, things like that. Yep. I worked at HP for two years, writing software in a team, um, to, um, support the Walmart photo kiosks that HP was, um, supporting at that time right and um and going into the job that i have now just writing code now that's you know as as you move on in your career you you sort of figure out where you want to mature to in terms of of that career mm-hmm. and what I do right now is 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 half coding and half, not really managing, but more um, uh, expediting. I guess is the best term that I've heard to, to describe what I do right expediting. now. Um, if you ever watch uh, like um, like Hell's Kitchen or anything like that, um, where there's a guy at the front of the line that's like you know, calling out the orders and then checking to make sure the plates are right before they go out to the customer, et cetera, like that. Sort so, of making sure everything is lining up. Yeah. So, yeah. So it, uh, you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong. So you're just like a, well, this is a really basic term, but you're like a overseer, but you also, you also do coding and stuff like that. Like you mentioned, right? Is mm-hmm. am I, am I even close or am yes. I using? Okay. Yeah. I, the technical, the, my official job title is technical lead, right? I, I am the lead of the technical effort of the team. Okay. Right? I, I am the one responsible for making sure that 
everything that is developed is of quality and we're following good you know patterns and things like that mm -hmm. so i code and i also interact a lot with people right. i talk to people a lot about what may go wrong and you know where the problem is and how we can fix it right so i mean in a nutshell that's what i do you mentioned uh that you um that you love uh that that uh, a lot of stuff that you do uh, within your company is you uh, help support first responders in what way does your company all right uh go ahead you're you're back on the air all right so i was saying the the dispatcher that you call when you call 911 mm -hmm. is typing all of their information that you're giving them into what is called a cad computer aided dispatch right piece of software mm -hmm. that will then send that out multiple um things um fax machines some some departments have but we are one of the things that that cat will send to and it'll basically be an email they'll basically send us an email and what we do is we take that and we take the information in it and make it in a much more readable form for the first responder and send it to them via mostly app we have an android and ios app and we mostly send to those the information so that it appears in the app with all of the important information lined out and you know where they can tap on the address and have a quick map to it things like that mm -hmm. so that is really where we come in is um we take the information and uh if i can describe a lot of things uh, a lot of the way that the first responder used to get that information would be say through a motorola pager which is you know a pager yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it's a very small amount of text that you can see there yeah right? it can be hard to discern mm -hmm. uh, what what it's saying and so we're trying to um make it much easier for the first responder to get a bunch of information about what's going on so that they can respond much more effectively to it and, did, and they're quicker does your company uh, specifically just work around in your community in your area or, or does your company go uh go a little bit wider uh companies nationwide and oh, okay. simple international i totally as well, i know, totally so. misjudged that so, yeah we have we have i think the last estimate was 30 to 40 percent of the overall firefighters in the u.s use us wow that's crazy so my fire my fire department might use you guys huh. I know you said that, and I was like, my fire department might use you guys, or they might. Um, no idea. Maybe. Uh, no, that, no, it's you know uh, that's fascinating. Like, like I don't, like, like, like I knew nothing about that. So that's just overly uh, fascinating to me. Listen, I wanna, um, I wanna wrap up because I'm gonna have to do some serious stitching in between the two audio files. So that's gonna be pain in the ass. Um. Now, you might find this interesting. I've been waiting the whole interview to bring this up. When we were in high school, uh, well, I, I have two more final things to bring up, and uh, you might find them humorous. When we were in high school, you told me a story one time where you, um, where you fell, well, two situations. One, where you fell asleep, where you fell asleep, you were working on an assignment, and you, and you fell asleep uh, at your desk, and basically, uh, when you woke up in the morning, you had the imprint of your computer at the time stapled to your forehead. I don't know. I, I don't know if you remember that story. 
Uh, um, not specifically, but I, I'm sure I'm sure something like that certainly happened once or more times in my childhood. Yeah, and uh, and uh, and uh, the um, the last story I have about you that I always remember is a story that your dad told me about you, uh, where one time you actually fell out of your bed and you fell on your I think it was your right knee or your left knee and you actually shattered it. You actually fell out of bed and you shattered uh, one of your knees. Which I thought was like the craziest thing ever. I don't is was that actually true? Or was your dad like pulling my knee, pulling my leg? I don't care. I can't. I can't actually um, remember that. So let's see. I've had one broken arm and two two leg injuries in my life. I believe that I remember again okay. he could have been talking about something that happened in you know when I was really young right. like under right. five mm-hmm. so that's certainly possible mm-hmm. um, but from what I can remember I broke my arm in kindergarten when I was at the front of the line Ooh. and some kid further back in the line pushed someone and they domino effect uh, you know and I was at the front of the line and I you know got fallen on top of and broke my arm wow. and then the other time oh was uh, when I fractured my leg when I was skiing, like I was describing. Um, and then aside from that, once in college, I fractured something when I was walking out of a house and I stepped down a step wrong the in wrong. the wrong way. Okay. Something hmm. like that. That's interesting. I mean, like I, I said, um, it's certainly, my it's dad could have been something that happened when I was a young kid yeah. that I remember. Mm-hmm. No, no, the one thing, uh, the one thing that I always remember about our time together in high school and basketball, you were always so relaxed in anything that you did. I was like, how do you do that? Because you always had this, you, to me, you always had the same facial expression. You're like, you were like deadpan all the time. You're like, you, you had such a cool ass demeanor about yourself. Now, I don't know if this is going to get me in trouble, but... Um, when, when we were playing basketball together, I used to hate you. I was like, God damn it. I can never be as good as him. How is he so fucking good, man? He is the best. I used to, I used to have nightmares about you, my friend. Huh? We were on the same team, man. Yeah, yeah, but it was that, it was that, it was that, it was that competitive, it was that competitive fire in me. You were like. You were like, for, I mean, I mean, this is a really, I mean, for us, we were amateurs, but this is a really, I mean, this is just an example. You were like my Michael Jordan. You, you, were, you were like, you were like, you were like, ah, you were like, you were like, you were like, if there was a basketball god, you would be pretty up there, right? You wouldn't be necessarily sitting in the seat in, in the, like, like sitting on the throne, but you would be like, like in the, in the, in the next chair over, Right. So I was like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if that was like a little hero worship or whatever. The funny thing is, after you left, um, a couple, a couple, uh, as the as 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 the team got newer players and everything, I started to get some of the some of the things that I you know you, you know that I projected on you from from some of the younger players, which was which was hilarious to me. And then I was like, oh, John was good, but he wasn't God. Because, you know, 
you know, it's, it, it was stupid, you know? Um, you know, on that same note, what are some of your favorite memories from back then and, and actually doing what we did, if you have any or you remember any of them? For me, like, I like winning. But for me, even like I described how I like to play board games, it's more about the people that I am with than, you know, actually winning. Okay. Like, I don't remember. I, honestly, I don't remember what our record was for most of the, you know... Um, Your career. The uh, the games we went to, etc. I more remember the, you know, being on a team with you and, you know, Philip mm-hmm. and Maddie and right. yeah, everyone and um john paul and you know just those are things i remember because it's just like at the end of the day you know working together as a team on a common goal which is getting better which was the the main thing Mm. and i just you know that was a lot of my focus was just being the best i could be as part of that team yeah and i think that's sort of always been my mindset even now as i am a technical lead of a development team right Mm. It, it is more about you know, everyone understanding, you know, how, how to work together as a team and just recognize each other's strengths and weaknesses and help each other. Sure, everyone has weaknesses and everyone has strengths. Mm-hmm. And when you have a team, you work together so that everyone shores up each other's weaknesses and plays on each other's strengths. Mm-hmm. No, well, I can... And, no, no, yeah, yeah. No, um, I'm sorry. Well, I can certainly tell you that after you left, you made me better because you made you you made me uh, reach higher and, and play harder. So if, if it wasn't for you, I mean, I understand that we were amateurs and we were nowhere near some of the capability that that, that some of the people were that I played with later in my career. But you made me better in, in, in some aspects. I don't know if I ever told you that. You made me better too, Hector. I mean, you you did things that I could not do either, and it made me try harder to do those things as well. Yeah. Uh, and I had a lot of fun doing it, and a lot of great memories of doing that. And that's really the thing that I remember the most, and I appreciate the most. You know, even now I think about. Mm-hmm. No, actually, um, just to jog your memory, we I actually won three championships. Two of them, I was lucky enough to do them with you because you actually were there for the first two. And the last one I did with Matt, and the year before I we I I hang I I retired the first time, um, we actually uh, our team made it into the semifinals, but then we actually uh, got taken out uh, before in in the qualifying game for the for the uh, for, for the um, for the for the final game. We actually we actually made it to the semifinals uh, in in my last year. Yeah, so there's a little cool. history lesson about us. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Seriously, I swear, I'm going to wrap this up. You might find this interesting. You and your wife uh, watched Doctor Who, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I we just re- huh? the last three seasons. We just rewatched the last three seasons over the last month. Really? Uh-huh. Uh, what's your... Uh, okay, so you might like this. What's uh, 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 Who's your favorite Doctor? By the way, do you like do you like classic Who or do you like new Who? So I will admit that I have not really watched classic Who. I have only mostly watched new Who. Okay. So with that in mind, my favorite Doctor is Tennant. Um, specifically the 
pairing that was my favorite was Donna okay. and the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really liked how she took him down a notch, honestly. And that was a fun interplay to me. Um, I, well, 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 uh, <clears throat> well, you're going to be happy about this. My favorite, actually, like you, I've, I've never seen uh, a classic Who. I, I, I probably would enjoy it because I, I, I love New Who. But my, my introduction to Doctor Who came with uh, the reboot series, like you. And my first Doctor, I came in towards the end of Tenet's run. And I, I started watching Doctor Who. Um, um, uh, at the beginning of uh, Matt Smith's run as a Doctor, but I always, I always, I always tell people that my favorite Doctor is is a combination between uh, David Tennant and uh, Matt Smith. And my favorite companion, well, you, well, you're gonna find this ridiculous because it's pretty obvious. But my my favorite companion of the Doctor, I have two. First. It's um, Martha Jones, and uh, secondly is Rose. I love Rose, so I I I have I I have this thing for people that have accents, and I just love the British accent, so I love Rose Tyler. I I gather she's she's a she's a little simpleton. I mean, she just loves a doctor, so I don't know. I just I just love that pairing. Um. How do you feel about how do you feel about um new who? How do you feel about Jodie Whittaker as a doctor? I think she's been a little bit constrained by the scripts that she's been given. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the the two seasons that that Jodie Whittaker has had have been um a little more focused on the companions maybe i don't know just <laughs> my wife calls it a little bit kind of preachy <laughs> yes. yeah in, in terms of yeah just um, not even really being subtle about it like no. I, I don't disagree with there being a wacky a, over the head perhaps mold to the story but having it just be sort of shoved in your face is not really appealing to me. Right, right, right. And I feel like a lot of episodes sort of did that at the end. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. No, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Are you, you going to... Oh, no, I was just saying, but there were a few good ones too. No, um, well, well, for example, um, when I heard that, um, I can't, uh, that Chris Chibnall. I'm a I'm a huge fan of British TV. I love British TV. My love for British TV comes from Doctor Who. So mm-hmm. I've I was a fan of Chris Chibnall from Broad from Broadchurch because that's where he came from. Yeah. And when I heard that he was gonna that he was gonna take over the show running the the day to day show running duties of Doctor Who after Moffat left. By the way, I love Steve mm-hmm. Moffat. I don't care what anybody says. I love that guy. I don't care. Um, mm-hmm. I was excited because I thought he, that he was going to take Doctor Who in a different direction. Mm-hmm. For, 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 for Series 1 with Jody, I thought mm-hmm. that he really made some interesting choices, mm-hmm. but he, he didn't necessarily 
I don't, I don't know how to put it. He didn't necessarily get the spirit of the doctor right as, you know, on the page. Um, now, I, I, yeah. I, I don't, you know, a lot of people, they blame, they blame Jody for, 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 this, for the series. And I don't do that at all. I don't, I don't blame actors. I blame writers because without writers, the actors would have nothing to say. So it's the writer's fault. It's not the actor's fault. Um, or, or at least that's how I look at it. But I, my main problem with Jody's run so far is that I don't really particularly care about any of the companions. I don't care, like, like I cared about, I cared about Donna. I cared about, um, oh my God, I cared about what's her name, Martha. I cared about, help me, um, what's her name. Rose, I cared about all his companions, but I don't care about Graham. I don't care about well, I care about Yaz, but they don't but they haven't even developed Yaz right. Right? They 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 focus more on Graham and more on um oh my Ryan than it did Yaz. I was like, Yaz is is better than the two of them. I like Graham, but I don't like Ryan. I'm like, can you can we do something with the I don't know. I don't know. How do you how do you, how do you feel about that? Um. So this is. I'm sorry if I'm going a little that I've read. Huh? In terms of them splitting way too much between three companions and also not really giving them much like much they, to do, right? They don't have a really defining characteristic, really, in the sense of of something that they bring to a situation. In a lot of in a lot of in a lot of episodes, they are almost just sort of decoration. Right, 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 and right. It's like they're just a plot device to say, "Oh, they have a relationship with someone." Like, "Oh, Yaz's mom was is, is doing something at a hotel or something," and then right. the whole thing takes place there. Arachnophobia like, scared the shit out of me. At the end of the day, it's like it could have been anyone. It could have been some random person off the street whose it was, and like it would have pretty much been the same episode. Right, right. That's, you know, there was a couple that actually touched upon, you know, certain aspects, but for a large part of it, yeah, they are almost not even one dimensional. Like a lot of complaints that people have about various campaigns I've been, they're so one dimensional, like, you know, but at the end of the day, sure, they have a defined characteristic and maybe their character isn't as developed as one might like, but, you know, they are that character and you can, when you think about them, you think a certain think about them right remember something about them right and yeah that's the thing is i cannot really remember a lot almost anything one of the last two seasons that stands out as a as a real character moment for either of that for, the, for each of them right like there's maybe one or two or three specific moments that touch upon certain aspects of their characters mm -hmm. but that doesn't carry out th that doesn't carry through through the um through the whole series the way that donna's you know wit in terms of you know playing against Tennant, did the way in which rose's you know devotion yeah. to you know uh, carry through the way that you know martha's uh, you know not martha you know, it, you know her right. her just i mean she was strong-willed mm -hmm. and you know independent you know even after you know, she wasn't paying more. She did, right. you know, all the other things. And so there's, 
there's it, it, it's a bit like they're a little bit hollow right mm-hmm. like there's there it's there's not a lot of development underneath the surface like mm-hmm. there are there, there have been little attempts here and there but nothing consistent right there's nothing to there's nothing built upon layer upon layer of right. showing you know aspects of that even if it's just one dimension right no i know i just no i i, I just think that at this point i think that they should I, I think that they should scale down the companions and just have Jody inter- interact with one of them. Pick one of them, and get and, and get rid of. Um, well, I I would have. Well, this is what I would do. I would have, I would have um, Ryan and Graham be recurring characters, and have Yaz be the full on uh, regular companion for the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And just focus on just focus on that relationship. How the doctor uh, uh, w- uh, work up against one person instead of instead of three people at once. You know, I, I you know I don't know I, I don't know if that would make things better, but that's what that's where I would start. I, it, I think that would help. I think the other thing is really like so. I my only familiarity with Shinala is is Broadchurch, and I've only watched. The first and a couple episodes in the second season. So. I love Broadchurch. Broadchurch is so much. Fun. It's um, not well, fun, but it's great. Sure, and so I don't have any reference for what his other work is. Oh, uh, general, okay. What what is his other work specifically? No, well, well, Broadchurch. Well, I well 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 I know I just know Chibnall from Broadchurch, and Broadchurch is a vast departure. I mean, Broadchurch is a procedural about police. Right. Like, from based on that, I had no indication that he would have a single clue about what to do with science fiction. But clearly, he's talent. He was talented enough to, 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 to write a serviceable, to write a serviceable first season of Doctor Who. But I don't, I don't this look. I I enjoy him as a writer, but I don't necessarily think that this is a bad word to use. I don't necessarily think. His heart was in it that much. Again, that that's a that's a bad word to use because if he took the job, he obviously likes the show. So, but I don't, I, th- I don't, I don't know if his writing necessarily served Doctor Who in the best way that it could. So there's a couple of things, right? There's there's him as a writer, and then there's him as a showrunner. Right? Yeah. And there's there's two, there are two different roles really. Yeah. They require different skills. Yeah. They... Right? As a as a writer, right? Yeah. When you are responsible for perhaps like Broadchurch, responsible for the entire arc of the the series, yeah. right? And yeah. all of the things in between. Mm-hmm. Again. I, I, I haven't looked specifically. Did he like literally write every episode throughout the season? Yes, he did. He wrote. He he wrote. He wrote every episode of Raw Church. And, and it's very. It's in order to weave a story, you place things in different episodes, right? That play on each other. Yeah, and are, Easter eggs. Um, and like, so like with the episodic, more episodic format like Doctor Who, like it's there are certain broad strokes for Doctor Who, but it is much more episodic with much more. You know, episodes in a bottle, right? Yeah, and you know, Broadchurch, right? Yeah. So, and, and also other writers come in to mm-hmm. write 
you know, the main content of each of those, right? Mm -hmm. And so he has less direct control, yeah. right? And so the question is, right, what is, what is the direction that he is giving to the other writers, right? I, I think he wrote like probably half of them and then he, and then other people you know, wrote the other ones. Right, right, right. And I think it may have been difficult um, to, it, and I'm sure it is difficult to approach it from both perspectives, right? right? Because you're trying to tie together all these really episodic things in some way that has a recurring thing. And perhaps as a showrunner, really presenting a defining set of characteristics for each character, mm -hmm. like this, so that each individual writer has something to work in, in terms of, you know, how they fit the character into the overall narrative of a particular episode. Right. And perhaps that was where he was failing to do so, where he just sort of, maybe, maybe he didn't define them well enough, or he defined them in a way that people couldn't really utilize, okay. right? And so that's a different skill set than perhaps the more intricate weaving of a story over an entire series, mm -hmm. right? The way that Broadchurch was a, you know, there were things at the beginning that all of a sudden make more sense for at, the same time. Yeah. Right? And but without that direct control, right, he didn't have direct control over many of the episodes, mm -hmm. right? It could have given him a bit of difficulty yeah. in, you know, how much how much really needs to be episodic versus how much can I put into it that is not and maybe focus on the wrong thing. I don't know. Right. I, again, I'm not him. I don't know what his focus was necessarily as the showrunner right. in terms of doing that. But it definitely seems apparent that he was less effective as a showrunner than then, uh, then, previous. Yeah, movie, then, but, yeah, the previous. Right. Well, no. through the third season, right? Yeah, yeah. Third season. Yeah. Um, no, actually, um, like I said, I'm I'm willing to give him another shot, but I but I'm I'm saying I'm going to give him. One more shot before I before I just jettison him with the jettison him with the bathwater basically. Um, okay, last thing I want to tell you. Speaking about Doctor Who, I uh, quite a while ago, I wrote a spec script for a Doctor Who episode um, where I <laughs> I um, I like I said my favorite my favorite Doctor is David Tennant, so I I had. Um, um, <clears throat> I had David Tennant uh, have to come back to uh, have to actually es uh, uh, escort a disabled uh, being from a different planet, right? I I didn't I didn't have the episode actually uh, occur on Earth. I I I had him go from Gallifrey uh, from Gallifrey to a to a different planet to pick up a disabled. Uh, 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 quote-unquote human that was going to bring peace to another to another uh, section of the galaxy. It was a really, it was a really fun experiment. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just did it, and I was like, I actually, um, I actually gave it to, um, gave it to a to a friend of mine who was an agent, and he, uh, he said that, well, he, well, he said that it was going to pass it up the line because he knew some people at the at the BBC, and I was like, dude, are you serious? You want to give them this? Uh, and he was like, this is rough, but it's okay, and I'll, I'll pass up the line. I never heard from him again, but I assumed that he, uh, that he, uh, that he made good on his word, and he passed it up the line, so, I don't know, I just, um, I love Doctor Who, but my, my top two favorite franchises, and this is the last thing I'll say, and then I'll let you go, 
my top two favorite franchises are Mission Impossible and Star Trek. So I, I am, I, 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 I'm a Star Trek nut. I love Star Trek. So, um, yeah. But um, with that being said, I, I would like to thank you for taking the time and uh, for hanging out with me tonight and chatting again. I um. You know, the conversation went down in a direction that I didn't think we were going to go down, but it was fun, and I hope you had fun. Yeah, I definitely did. I appreciate it. Yeah, and, uh, can, you, uh, can you just do me a favor and uh, send your compliments to, uh, send my compliments to your lovely wife, because she's always been so kind to me. She doesn't have to be, but she kind of oh, yeah. she kind of rocks. So. Um, oh, yeah, she definitely does. Yeah, well, yeah, well, sure, you married her, so you must have a little bit of something about that. <laughs> but she is, she is such... Um, a good soul, and uh, I would, I would uh, be remiss if I didn't ask you to uh, pass along my compliments or whatever. But you know, if you want to chat, you can. You you have my number, or you can catch me on. Uh, well, I'm not, well, I'm not on Facebook uh, that much anymore. Are you on Twitter, by the way? Oh, I don't. Okay, no. it's cool. Um, no, but I, uh, I'm, I'm uh, good for you. Twitter is a toxic place, but actually, I love, um, I love Twitter. I I actually do um, I do YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter more than I do Facebook these days. But if you want to chat with me or talk to me or if you want to come on the show again, which I don't know why you would, because this sucks. Um, I kid. Yeah. Um, if you if you ever want to come on the show or whatever or catch up, you know, reach out and uh, and we'll um, we'll chat again. But, um, you know, thanks, and uh, see you around. All right. How do you... Uh, oh, yeah. See you around. Take care, man. Uh, so, does that wraps up the interview portion? Yeah, no, no. Let me... Uh, let me Actually, hold on. Let me... Let me... All right. all right, guys. So, that'll do it for this edition of the Red Wall Podcast, episode number 43, entitled An Old Friend. Uh, once again, I would like to thank my good friend Jonathan Wu for coming on today and taking the time to chat with me about uh, what seemed to be a very, very, very serious subject. But I hope those of you who listened uh, to this particular episode enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully I can have uh, more people like Jonathan on in the future who can actually bring another dynamic to the uh uh, to our little uh, podcast show here. Uh, but uh, if you guys can do me a small little favor, and if you're listening to this podcast provider on uh, uh, whatever podcast provider you listen to the show on, if you could leave me a star rating or a comment, or even if you haven't done or, or even if you haven't done it already, subscribe to the show so you can get the show as it comes out on a daily basis. But until next time, as always, I'll see you when I see you.